We're going to find ourselves in Ruth chapter 2. We're working through verses 1 through 13. And uh, as you open or load your Bible, I just have two quick reminders for you. If you are new, we'd love to hang out with you. We'd love to take you out to lunch or dinner. So fill out a Connect card, drop it in the connect desk that's in the back and uh, one of us will get back with you within within 24 hours that's how serious we are about paying for your food in addition to that uh, if you're new and you don't have a bible and you need one we have bibles available for you that's our gift to you so take one with you or if you have someone that would benefit from having the word of god in their hands don't even ask just take one and hook them up. That's all I have for you this morning. I'm really excited about preaching uh, through Ruth over the next coming weeks. Uh, We began this series last week. We are primarily looking at the providence of God, though we're going to be touching on a couple of other things as we work through Ruth in our time. Uh, I'd like to begin with the quote by an individual named Dallas Willard. He is or was a Christian author and philosopher, and I've always appreciated his definition on character. And here's how he defines character. Character is who a person is and what they can be counted on to do. Say that one more time. Character is who a person is and what they can be counted on to do. Not because of any other reason, but I'd like to add two things to his definition. Saying that character is who a person is and what they can be, what they can be counted on to do, even when no one is looking and in spite of their circumstance or social status. Even when no one is looking and in spite of their circumstance or social status. One of the things that we regularly talk about here at Storehouse McAllen is character, because character matters. It matters because in many areas of life, whether it would be ministry or other areas of careers, many reduce character for the sake of competency, that is, the ability to do something well, efficiently, and effectively. But when we look at people from the Bible, there are many significant figures who were, by definition, incompetent. Yet what was addressed most was their character. Even those who were very competent themselves, what was still addressed was their character. Areas of competency can always be taught, but character is developed over time. Character is displayed under pressure. Character is discerned in community. And so today, as we continue working through this beautiful book of the Bible, that is Ruth, we are coming into chapter 2, where Ruth and Boaz meet for the very first time, and it's lovely, and it's well, but we're not going to talk about that. Well, we are. I'll just keep going. Before we look at the text, however, I want to give you a quick review from last week, and then I'll kind of fold it all in regarding what does this have to do with character. So let me give you a quick review in case you weren't here or you forgot. Right? So last week, we opened up with Ruth, and we see in the first verse of the first chapter that Ruth took place during the time of the Judges. The time of the judges was a very dark time for the people of God because they were pretty much indulging in corruption and in their sin. They were doing, as the texts say, whatever was right in their own eyes. They were going and rebelling against the Lord. Within this, at times, the Lord would raise up these judges, and judges were more like military leaders who would ultimately protect God's people, and God's people would repent and turn back from God only for a moment, and then they would turn away and pursue their sin even harder and more. During this time is when Ruth takes place. Many theologians believe, and I mentioned this last week, that Ruth takes place somewhere between Judges chapter 4 and chapter 10. Somewhere in there, 
Ruth takes place. And what's, what's so beautiful about Ruth is that in this time of rebellion and corruption, what looks like an insignificant family, God zero ins on them so that we would see his invisible hand of providence. And so as we began Ruth, we learned of a little family, a family of four. Elimelech, who was the father, Naomi, who was the mom, and then we had Malon and Kilion, their sons. And they lived in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, the word for Bethlehem means house of bread. Now the problem is that a famine was occurring at the time, and so there was a scarcity in food. And so it's kind of ironic that there is no bread in the house of bread. And so Elimelech, in order to, I think, provide for his family, and that was mainly his way of thinking, right, uh, he decided to move his family about 30 miles outside of Bethlehem to this town uh, of Moab, where the Moabites are. Now, the Moabites were not a godly people. They worshipped false gods like Chemosh, who uh, uh, was big into human sacrifice. They were also uh, sexually perverse people. And Elimelech is primarily thinking, food is over there, we should go. What he's not thinking about is that there aren't any churches there, the people of God are not there, we don't have community there, this sounds like a good idea, let's do it. So he moves his family over to Moab, and in chapter 1 we see that they were there for about 10 years. And in the course of those 10 years, Elimelech dies. And at some point his sons, Malon and Kilion, marry Moabite women, uh, two women who did not know the Lord, Orpah and Ruth, and then Malon and Kilion died. And so in the course of 10 years, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth are widowed. That's a really intense season. And then at some point, we don't necessarily know how, but at some point, Naomi receives word that the famine in Bethlehem is over and God has visited his people with his grace and provision and there's food. And so she gets up and she says, let's go back to Bethlehem. So she gets the girls and they start going, making their way over to Bethlehem. And at some point in the story, at some point in their journey, they kind of pull over to a rest area. <laughs> and, and Naomi essentially says, I don't have anything to offer you girls. There is nothing that benefits you from staying with me. So go back to your country, go back to your people, go back to your gods, go back to your culture, go back and hopefully you'll find someone. In short, Orpah leaves, but Ruth clings to Naomi. And what we see here is God's uh, saving grace, his sovereign grace over Ruth. Naomi tells her, no, you should go. And Ruth says, don't tell me to leave you again. Right? She says, your God is now my God. Your people are my people. Where you go, I go. Where you die, I die. And so in this moment, we see God's sovereign grace come upon Ruth as he rescues her. The foreigner, the one who didn't know the Lord, now knows the Lord. And essentially preaches this beautiful gospel to Naomi. And uh, the closing of Ruth says that Naomi had nothing to say. So they make their way back to Bethlehem. And the crowd, the, the town is kind of stirred because they recognize Naomi. And they're like, oh man, this is Naomi. She's back. How is she doing? And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Naomi means sweet and pleasant. Call me Mara. It means bitter. And she says, the Almighty has dealt with me. So she acknowledges that God is sovereign, but in his sovereignty, he has left me bitter. And that's how chapter one closes that they're in Bethlehem. Right? Now, what does this have to do with character? Right? What does it have to do with character, especially when we are considering Ruth? Well, one of the things that we're going to see today is genuine faith in Ruth. That is, in chapter 1, we saw a saving faith. We saw God save Ruth and call her to himself and to his people. In chapter 2, we're going to see her faith in action. Therefore, here's what I want you to know. Genuine faith produces godly character. 
Genuine faith produces godly character. So let's pray, and then let's examine God's Word together. God, I'm excited about uh, examining Your Word. So Lord, I pray that Your Word would be sweeter to us than honey. I pray that You would make Yourself known, that You would reveal Yourself to us through Your Word, and that our hearts would be both encouraged and convicted, but regardless, that our eyes would be fixed upon the Lord Jesus. God, I am thankful for my brothers and sisters this morning. I pray that they would come to know Jesus better this morning and that those who do not know Jesus, that they would come to know Jesus this morning. We are thankful for this time, so thankful for this time. And so may you be glorified and may we be sanctified as we examine your word together. Amen. All right, y'all ready? One person. Cool. All right, here we go. I'll preach to that one person. Here we go. I want to look at the text primarily. uh, We're going to start with verses one through three. Verses one through three are going to give us the context as to what's happening here at the start of chapter two. And, And we're going to need this context as we look at verses four through 13. And so, as I mentioned earlier, Naomi or Mara, right, and Ruth are now settled in Bethlehem. And we don't know uh, where they're staying. We don't know who they are staying with. But they've returned during the barley harvest, which means that there is food. There is grain for food, and that's their priority. We need to get some food. So let's look at verse 1. In verse 1, we're introduced to Boaz. And verse 1 tells us quite a bit about Boaz. We learn that he is a worthy man and a man of the clan of Elimelech. Right? And so what that means is, it says it there, that he was uh, a relative of Melimelech, that they were in the same clan or in the same area in Bethlehem. Additionally, we learn that he is a worthy man. And a worthy man could mean a couple of things. One of the things that it can mean is that he's like a military hero, like this dude has seen some stuff in the trenches. The problem is we don't see that in Scripture, so we're not exactly sure. That may not necessarily mean it. However, we do know that being a worthy man can also mean that he's a man of wealth and influence. And over the course of Ruth, we learn, particularly in this chapter, that he owns some land. He's a business owner. He's a leader in the community. He is highly influential, and he is a man of action. Additionally, his name Boaz means strength, strong. He's a man's man, I think right? That's what it means. Uh, That's what his name means. Now, when we consider Boaz and we consider where we left off in chapter one, it's kind of like, nada que ver. Like, what does Boaz have to do with what's going on in Bethlehem and with Ruth, right? And so here's what we're going to see in this chapter. You and I are going to see the invisible hand of God's providence. You see, one thing to consider is, as we walk through Ruth, they're not like these people who know that a book is being written about them. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're just living daily life. You and I, the readers, we get to see the invisible hand of God's providence in the story of Ruth. And uh, what we're going to see is that she's going to go glean, or she's going to go work in the field. And the field that she's going to go work in just so happens to be Boaz's field. Right? Everybody's like, oh, stay with me. Right? That's verse 1. So that's, that's who Boaz is. He's a, he's a relative of, a, of Elimelech. He is a worthy man, which means he's a, he's a leader in the community. He's a wealthy man. He owns land. He, he's a business owner. He's very influential, and he's a man of action. Now let's cut into verse 2. In verse 2, we see Ruth tell Naomi that she's going out to glean the fields and hopefully find favor in someone's sight. Now, if you look too much into that, that she hopes to find favor in someone's sight, they're like, oh yeah, man, she's going to go ahead and see Boaz. That's not what she's thinking, right? We're not there yet, okay? So chill, right? That's not what she's thinking. Gleaning is important because as they've settled in Bethlehem, right, as they've settled in Bethlehem and Ruth says, hey, I'm going to go glean, I'm going to go work the field, Right? It's incredibly important because <clears throat> God designed it in a way for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the poor to be provided for. She doesn't know that. 
She just knows there's food. I'm going to go get some. You and I are hungry. I'm going to go. Right? Gleaning meant that uh, individuals would go to the edges of people's fields, and, and the edges of their fields um, were not worked. They were not harvested. That was left for the poor, uh, the fatherless, the foreigner, or the sojourner, that they could get grain for themselves, that they could get grapes and fruits for themselves, and that they could take it so that they would be provided for. God establishes this in Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. He says, when he's talking to his people as he's establishing his law, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. It may not sound like a big deal, but it is as Ruth goes out to work the field for a couple of reasons. Number one, we see Naomi's response. Let's go to verse two. So it says, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears uh, of grain after them in whose uh, sight I shall find favor. And Naomi says, go, my daughter. Naomi doesn't say anything. Naomi is among the people of God. Naomi doesn't give her a word of warning or caution. She doesn't say anything. That could be because Naomi is tired and weak after the long trip. That could be because she is still very bitter. So she doesn't even tell her daughter-in-law, hey, it's dangerous, be careful, maybe go to this field, go to that field. Nothing. She's like, yeah, man, deuces, go. And what we see is Ruth step out in faith. We see her faith in action. Remember, chapter 1, we see this saving faith. God calls her to himself. Chapter 2, we see genuine faith in display. She acts upon what she believes in. We see her described as Ruth the Moabite. This is something that we're going to see throughout all of Ruth. This is to kind of give you an idea of the tension that is happening or that, that, that is there among her and the, the, the rest of the Israelites because it reminds you and I that she's a foreigner. She doesn't know the land. She doesn't know the law. She doesn't know the people. She doesn't know the customs. She doesn't know the culture. She just wanted to go get some food. Additionally, by her going out to the field, she's a woman, which makes her vulnerable. She's on the edges of the field. It makes her vulnerable out there. Now, you add that to her not knowing the people, the customs, the culture, the law, she's very, very vulnerable. Nevertheless, we see her act in faith by seeing her trust the Lord and that he will provide. And that's, that's important, right? Like, in other words, Ruth has this saving faith and she's not just like sitting on the couch thinking like God's going to provide, he's going to do something. She's like, no, I'm going to trust the Lord as I go out and work. Her going out doesn't stop her from going to the fields and getting food. And she hopes that she's going to find favor in someone's sight so that she would have a place to continue gathering food, so that she would have maybe a job or a source of food. She ain't thinking Boaz. Verse 3 gives us this little cool phrase. I like it. Let's look at verse 3. It opens up by saying this. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. So she's on the edges of the field. Here it is. <clears throat> Marie lost. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. You can circle that. And she just happened to come to the field of Boaz. The author puts that little phrase, she happened to go, to catch your attention. Right? In other words, to start paying attention. Right? Like when you're, when you're reading a novel and there's these little phrases that kind of catch your attention, draw your eye to the story, you're like, okay, well, what's going to happen here? What's, what's going to happen? What, who, who else are we going to be introduced to? And so when you see the author say, she just so happened, it's to get your attention. Remember, as readers, and particularly as this person is writing this, they're not talking about luck or chance. Yes, they're getting our attention, but at the end of the day, they're talking about the providence of God. Proverbs 16 says that we may roll the dice, but the decision is ultimately of the Lord. And so again, 
circle that. And she just so happened to go to the field. So convenient, right? Now, that's what's happening in this chapter, in this section. We're introduced to Boaz. We are told that Ruth and Naomi need food, so Ruth goes out to glean the fields to to harvest grain, and she just so happened to come to Boaz's field. Now we know what's going on. Now, the rest of this section involves Boaz uh, learning about Ruth. It involves them meeting for the first time. And as we walk through the rest of this text, verses 4 through 13, I'm going to highlight the character of Ruth and the character of Boaz. So make sure that you have your Bibles open because we're going to be jumping from uh, verse to verse uh, within this section of verses 4 through 13, right? So let's begin with the character of Ruth as she bears fruit as a new believer. One of the first things that we see in this section that we just finished talking about is a genuine faith. In other words, Ruth doesn't sit back and wait for God. In faith, she actually goes out to provide for her and her mother-in-law. Ruth is all in. She is committed to the Lord. She is committed to the people of God, and in particular, her mother-in-law, Naomi. She trusts the Lord, and as she works, she is praying that the Lord would provide for her and Naomi. Right? She says, I hope that I find favor in someone's sight. Man, I'm going to go out and work. I'm going to do what I need to do. And I am trusting and praying that the Lord would provide. In chapter 1, once more, we see a saving faith. In chapter 2, we see her faith in action. So the first thing that we see in light of Ruth's character is her genuine faith. That is a faith in action. The second thing that we see in in this section is Ruth's work ethic. I'm so excited to talk about this. We see Ruth's work ethic, right? Because Ruth, I think, is a beautiful portrait of the woman from Proverbs 31. Okay? I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verses 14 to 25, I'm going to exit out of this and, and go there. You can go there with me. Let's go to Proverbs 31, and I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. This is the woman that is described in Proverbs 31. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. She considers a field and buys it. Right? She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She puts her hands to the, to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. This woman is not afraid to get dirty. She is not afraid to go out there and work. Work, work ethic, excuse me, is a part of your character. Because your character is going to come out in your work ethic. Who you are, what you can be counted on to do, is going to be revealed in your work ethic. Ruth doesn't complain. She gets her hands dirty. She trusts in the Lord as she works the field. Let's go to verse 7. In verse 7, we see that uh, uh, Boaz is talking to his foreman because he recognizes Ruth. He recognizes that she's not like one of his other employees that he's hired. He's like, well, who, who is she? And so he's talking to his foreman, and his foreman begins to tell her uh, or tell him her story. But I want you to look at uh, the last part of verse 7. He says, So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Ruth took a quick water break and then went back to work. It reveals her character. We're seeing her faith in action. We're seeing her ethic. We're seeing how committed she is to the Lord, to the people of God, and to providing for her and her mother-in-law. Finally, number three, we see Ruth's humility. We see her humility. In a moment, we're going to see that Boaz finds favor in Ruth. That's verses 8 through 9. We'll look at that in just a minute. But it's her response that reflects a humbled heart. Her response reflects 
that there's been transformation in her. Her response reflects her character. This is in verses 10 and in verses 13. So let's go to verse 10. So Boaz finds favor, and then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, so she takes a posture of humility and thankfulness. She takes a position of, of humility and thankfulness and says, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And then drop down to verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes. She's talking to Boaz. I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your so- servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabite. She's not one of his servants. She's the person that's on the outside. But based on her response, her ethic, and her faith in action, her reputation precedes her. And Boaz even touches on this. Go to verse 5. Boaz said to this young man, so here he's talking to his foreman once more. He's talking to his, his foreman, and he says, whose young woman is this? Verse 6, the servant said, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. So he's learning about who Ruth is. Now go down to verse 11. Verse 11, Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Boaz is telling Ruth, hey, your your reputation precedes you. Man, the favor that you are receiving is because it's your character. And so her response is consistent with that. It's a response of humility and thanksgiving. Her character is revealed in her work ethic. Her character is revealed in her genuine faith. Here's what I want you to know about Ruth's character or what Ruth's character teaches you and I. Ruth is who we were. She's telling Boaz, I bring nothing to the table. I don't know why you are finding favor in my eyes. Just like us before God, we bring absolutely nothing to the table. We were the foreigner. We were the estranged ones. We were the ones who were alienated. And God found favor in us through Christ. And in so doing, He lived for us and died for us in our place for our sin that we might be redeemed. And in our redemption, we bear fruit as a witness of the one who is faithful to save. Ruth bears the fruit of a heart transformed by the grace of God. And her character is one of genuine faith, that is faith in action. It is one of trust and humility. So let me ask you, What does the fruit in your life show? What does the fruit in your life show? Let's look at Boaz now. Let's look at the character of Boaz. As we looked earlier, he is a worthy man. And so we're going to highlight three things, just like we did with Ruth. In this brief interaction, we get a lot from Boaz, namely, number one, that he is a faithful man. He blesses and encourages his employees. Let's look at verse 4. This is where Boaz arrives on the scene, and it says, Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. How many of you have a boss like that? All right, it's Monday morning. The Lord bless you. (laughs) Anyway, what's so I think, here, here, let me say, here's why I think that's important, okay? Boaz arriving on the scene, 
He's arriving several hours after Ruth has already gotten there and gotten to work. In other words, he's not saying, the Lord bless you to show off to Ruth. This is what homeboy does. This is actually who he is. He actually blesses and encourages his employees. Hey man, the work that you're doing is a blessing from the Lord because he has provided for us. The Lord bless you. So he's not showing off. This dude lives out his faith on the daily. He treats others, and we're going to see in a minute, particularly Ruth, with dignity and respect. In other words, he's not a Sunday-only bro. Some of you are. He's not a Sunday-only bro where he puts on a face and a good hat and he raises his hand, but then Monday through Saturday, you cannot tell that he actually serves the Lord. This is an individual who lives his faith out on the daily. He is not a Sunday-only bro. He's a leader in his community who actually cares for his community, for those who are around him. He is committed to those who are, around, who are around him. Now here's the other thing, right? I told you this isn't really going to be about relationship, but I'm going to poke at him every once in a while. didn't matter that he was single. This is who he was. It's not like he was doing this to see who's available, right? Like he's doing this because this is who he is blessing and encouraging his employees, living his faith out in the everyday is a part of his character. He's committed to the Lord and to those around him. So the first thing is that Boaz is a faithful man. That's his character, one of faithfulness. Secondly, Boaz's character is one of generosity. After learning about Ruth, he shows favor on Ruth. Let's go to verse 8 and 9. All right, this is after Boaz finds, uh, finds out who she is and that she's been working all day. He goes on to say, now listen, my daughter. Now that, my daughter tells us that he's older than Ruth. Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women, right? So he's telling her, hey, what you're doing here, I want you to stay here, okay? I want you to stay here. I want you to stay close to the girls, don't go in anyone else's field. All right, I want you to stay here. Keep doing what you're doing, but stay here. And he continues, verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. All right? So he's telling her, stay here, keep an eye on the girls. Where they go, you go. I know that you're not from here, so stay with them. Continuing, have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Right? So right here, right off the bat, he tells her, I have a zero-tolerance sexual harassment policy that if the dudes bug you, if the dudes do something they shouldn't, if they're making you feel uncomfortable, I will deal with them. Right off the bat. Sass. And then he says, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. That's huge because uh, so, so the men would draw water and that water would be for them. If the women wanted any water, they'd have to go draw it themselves after the men drew the water for themselves. And so he's saying, hey, the water that the boys, that the guys drew, I want you to drink from that. However much you want, drink it. So he's, he's showing her all sorts of favor. Why? Because her reputation precedes her. He knows that she's vulnerable. He knows that she's young. He knows that she's a foreigner. And he's incredibly generous with his resources. He's like showing her the facility. You want some water? Right here. Bathrooms? Over here. Don't go over there. Dumb people are over there. Stay here, right? Like, he's helping her out. He protects her physically. He protects her with his generosity. He, he gives her resources, whatever she needs, whatever that she needs. Right? And you think, well, what's, what's Boaz's motive? It's her reputation. Later on in that same section, he says, hey, I, I, heard, I know who you are. You've left your native land. You've left your mother. You've left your father. I love that you are following the Lord now. I love that you are among the people of God. I'm pretty sure it's hard. 
So his character is one of generosity. Thirdly, his character is one of grace. It is one of grace. He honors Ruth. Yeah, she she belongs to the Lord now, but you see the tension in the text as she is referred to as Ruth the Moabite. You know, people might be looking at her. She doesn't look like everyone else. Everybody knows the culture and the land and the law, and she doesn't know any of that. And rather than mocking her or uh, telling her to figure it out, Boaz demonstrates grace to Ruth by respecting her. He even goes on to pray for her. Let's look at verse 11 once more. Boaz told her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father, your mother, your native land, and came to a people that you did not know before. Check it, verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz prays over her. He doesn't know that he's going to be the dude that the Lord like brings to her. He doesn't know that, and she doesn't know that either. He's just living his faith out. He prays for his sister. Hey, I know what you've gone through, and at the same time, I want to bless you because your reputation precedes you. And you know what? Man, I pray that the Lord gives you everything that you need. I pray that he gives you a good husband. I pray that you are taken care of. I pray that your obedience, that your humility would be rewarded. He just blesses her. He lives out his faith by praying over Ruth. Boaz ultimately portrays the one who is ultimately faithful. He is the one who portrays the one who is ultimately generous, the one who is ultimately gracious, and that is Jesus. That we were the ones who brought nothing to the table. We were the estranged ones. We were the foreigners. And he has grace upon us. He demonstrates favor on us by pouring out his grace onto us, by being faithful and living the life that you and I cannot live and dying the death that you and I deserve to die so that we might be, uh, so that we might be reconciled to the Father, so that we might be blessed. And it doesn't just stop there. He regularly pours his grace out onto you, even right now, church. He pours it out. Boaz ultimately points us to the one who is the ultimate faithful one, the ultimate generous one, and the ultimate gracious one. The character of Boaz demonstrates the grace of God. So church, Do you demonstrate the grace of God in your everyday? Or are you a Sunday-only bro? You're all about that grace and favor right now. But would your employees say that? Would your children say that on Tuesday? What does your character reflect on the everyday? In their first encounter, the two things that shine in in Ruth and Boaz, the two things about their character that shine is grace and humility. Grace and humility go go hand in hand because when when they meet, when grace and humility meets, worship takes place. See, when we consider the grace of God for us, we are humbled. And as we walk in humility, it doesn't make us weak. It makes us a person of godly character as you consider others, as you trust in the Lord, and as you bear fruit. However, if grace and humility do not meet, then we run the risk of seeing pride and self-interest take place. And when pride and self-interest take place, destruction takes place. You see, pride and self-interest are inwardly focused. They're selfish. They're greedy. They are driven by arrogant ambition. So as you consider Ruth, particularly this section, let me just say, I want you to learn from Ruth and, and Boaz. 
We should learn from them. I told you, like, we're not going to make this about relationships. But some of you are like, but I really want to know. Like, you should learn some things about Ruth and Boaz. Like, for example, Ruth's work ethic. Let me just tell you this, right? I'm going to say one general thing, and I'll say one specific thing, right? Like, in our church, we have some of the most hardest working women that I have ever met. In particular, my wife, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay? My wife, why? Like, you would say, like, what? No, let me just tell you this right now. Like, that is one of the things that attracted me deeply to my wife. She doesn't waste time. She doesn't play around. She runs a business. She has things that she needs to do, and she gets them done. Like, I love that. I love that. Because what that tells me, right, especially before we started dating, what that tells me is she's not going to waste time. She's not going to waste time. She's going to tell me what it is. And she did on several occasions, right? Like her work ethic shows me her character, right? Some of you dudes can learn a thing or two from that, okay? Because a part-time job is not hard. Taking care of your kids is also your job too. I hear some of you dads. Oh my gosh, I had the kids for two hours. Really, bro? Some of you could take a page out of Ruth's book, literally, and actually work, right? What else can we learn from Ruth and Boaz? We learn about uh, Boaz's faithfulness, right? That he pursues his employees. He wants to make sure that they are blessed, that they are encouraged. That's one thing that I'm encouraged by some of the men in our church, that they pursue one another and that they encourage one another. Now, it's funny when I rip on the dudes. Ladies are like, yeah, ladies. Do y'all pursue and disciple one another? Do you? I didn't ask if you posted stories on Instagram. I asked if you pursue and disciple one another. You want more? Let's go more. Boaz prays for Ruth in front of everyone, in front of his employees. Not just so that they can see, but so that they can hear. So, men... Do you pray and speak well of your wife in public? Do you pray over your wife? When was the last time you did? Right, Ephesians 5 tells us that we are to wash our wives with the word of God over prayer, not just praying for them, but praying over them. See, already I see some of the dudes like, well, you know, the thing is like, nada que ver, bro. Like, you just don't want to. But he does it. He recognizes her. He encourages her. He gives her grace in front of everybody. I know dudes who won't even introduce their fiancés. That's like some stupid Mexican machismo stuff. Yeah, I said it. Do you pray and speak well of your wife in public? Ladies, we have some really faithful men who are getting after it. We actually have some really good jobs and like put a lot on their plate. We have some men who really passionately love the Lord and they work hard and they find themselves in the Word of God regularly, confessing sin, pursuing one another. So let me ask you, do you even care about that? Do you care that your man or your fiance or your husband or whatever is actually pursuing the Lord, confessing and repenting sin, working hard, fixing his eyes on the Lord? When he stumbles, he repents, he gets up, he's in community. Do you even care? Or are you dangling some sort of carrot in front of him? Whether it's marriage or in marriage, it's just not good enough, you're just not doing enough. And then you wonder why some of the men in our church find themselves discouraged. I'm doing all of these things and I'm done. Do you encourage the men, ladies? Or are you just dangling carrots? If you are, that's incredibly selfish. As your friend, as your brother, as your pastor, I'm telling you, that's selfish. Now I say all these things. And there's singles. 
And the singers are like, what about us? What about you? <laughs> Do you work hard? Remember, when we look at the character of Ruth and Boaz, they don't know that they're going to meet. They're not thinking, oh man, maybe we can start the line of David together. They don't know any of that. Man, Ruth works hard because she has to. Ain't nobody going to do it for her. She gets out there. So if you're single and you're like, man, I want to be like Ruth and Bo, are you hardworking or are you complaining? Are you bouncing from job to job? Do you complain about the one that you constantly have? What about this? Are you faithful to pursue your brothers and sisters who are around you? Just because Boaz prays over Ruth and everybody's like, yeah, but they're going to get married. They don't know that at the time. He sees her as a sister in the Lord and he wants to bless her. So some of you singles, are you pursuing just the other members of the body? Encouraging them, blessing them. Because if you think the Bible is about you finding a relationship with your Boaz or your Ruth, then you've missed it. Jesus in his sovereignty completes you not the relationship. So don't dismiss friendships as this like lesser than, right? It's those who are married, those who might get married, and then the weaklings, the friends. That's incredibly important. And if you don't think it's important, then you have a misunderstanding of what it means to actually have a relationship with God. So no te hagas. More? Single dudes? Right? You want more? Okay. Hey, what do you see? What does Boaz do? Hey, who's that girl? Hey, that's Ruth. I'm going to go talk to her. <laughs> Some of y'all should try that. Some of you are like, man, I want to be like Boaz because his name means strength and he has a job and he's a leader and he like, is known in his community and his mom more than likely doesn't cook him lunch and dinner. He probably does it on his own. I'm just saving money. No, you're being lazy. I'll leave it there for now because we still have two and a half more chapters and I'll rip on you more later. In essence, learn from them. Learn from Ruth and Boaz. If you wanted some practical application, I just gave you some. Fine. Learn from them. They are examples of godly character, beautiful examples of godly character because of their genuine faith. They walk their faith. Their faith is actually displayed in action because they're captivated by grace and humility. Grace and humility are not just character qualities. They are virtues that breed worship. Ruth and Boaz point us to the one who is ultimately faithful and humble and gracious for us. In this story, we see the quiet and invisible hand of God's providence working in Ruth and in Boaz. Neither of them know about their future together or what their future will eventually bring. That is the coming of the Messiah. So as we close, Christian, what does your character look like? What does your character reveal? Do you crumble under pressure? Are you known in your community? See, both of these individuals, here's what I love about their character. That they are known among other people. One of the things I told you at the beginning is that character is formed over time. It is revealed under pressure and it is discerned in community are you known i'm gonna be super clear are you known in your church if you say storehouse mccallan is home your church are you known do you complain and bounce when it's difficult just because it's difficult is there humility in your character is there grace in your character toward those around you a faith that is genuine in Christ produces godly character over time. And so if you found encouragement from, from Ruth 2, keep going. 
You can do this. I'm telling you, you can do this. Keep going. If you find great deal of conviction, then confess it and repent. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. You belong to Him. He loves you. His grace shines upon you right now. And keep going. Get up and go. You can do this, church. May Jesus be the object of your affection. And if you don't know Jesus, I'm sure that you're hardworking. I'm pretty sure that you're even generous. But all of that is futile in the eyes of God if you do not know God. Because when we tear everything down, your motivation is one of self-interest. However, God in Christ offers you the grace of salvation. So surrender before Him. Confess and repent of your sin and worship the Lord as you trust in Him. Don't think about the circumstance. I can't promise or even tell you that it will change. Ruth's circumstance was that they were poor in need of food and she walked in her faith just to go get what she needed. Church, a genuine faith in Christ produces godly character. So may we be a people of godly character among one another in our homes and in our community. Let's pray. God, we confess to you that we have sinned. We confess the sins that no one knows and the sins that everyone knows. God, we confess that our sins are a burden to us. We also confess the sins that do not bother us because we have grown used to them. Instead of giving ourselves in love and in service for the world and one another as Christ gave Himself for us, we give ourselves over to our self-interest. Father, forgive us. Holy Spirit, empower us to walk graciously and humbly. Give us the strength to grow in godly character so that Jesus would be exalted and so that we would be sanctified, joyful, and thankful. May the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight. Amen.